Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today's date is December 24, 2023. Yeah. You know what? I've heard that you guys have been learning quite, quite a great deal about the Israel-dependent gospel and our Gentile inclusion. We've all been benefited and strengthened in our stance as a result of those teachings, right? This morning, we are taking the opportunity to magnify and celebrate the character of our king. Come on. Can I get some shouts of hallelujah? Hallelujah. So yes, 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 this time of year we have nativity scenes that portray the arrival of the Davidic king as a baby. However... The true celebration is seen in that he grew to become the full-grown son of God. One that is now seated in the highest heavens and will rule over all of the earth. So when the time had come for the son of God to be made manifest in the flesh and dwell on earth, an angel appeared to Mary and spoke of the promise that Jesus would fulfill. So turn with us to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 28. Say there as you're turning there. Luke chapter 1 and verse 28. It says this, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, as you can imagine, this may be a familiar passage, but uh, we, your pastors have actually engaged with this, and we have something beautiful here that we want to share with you. See, prior to any plan, prior to any direction being revealed to Mary, prior to her understanding what is about to come in the next few verses of what we would call an immaculate conception, the angel Gabriel greets her with a declaration of God's favor upon her and that the Lord is with her. Okay, so don't skip ahead yet. Right here in these verses, what you see is Mary's response, and you'll realize that it's much like ours when we actually encounter the presence of the Lord. So before an impossible task is laid out, before she understands anything else, the angel says, hey, you're favored. God is with you. And her response to that supremeness of who God is is a twofold response. First, says that she was greatly troubled. Somebody say greatly troubled. An angel, Gabriel, sitting there speaking, Mary's first response is to be greatly troubled, an actual visceral reaction of emotion that just overwhelms her. You can look at this word in the Greek and it means exactly what it says. She was greatly troubled in every way. And what happens after that is that she tries to discern what sort of greeting that this may be. She begins to try to reason in her mind and in her logic what is actually happening in front of her. So let me just state this in a way that's a little bit more plain for us today. Mary encounters an angel, and she is filled with fear, and she begins to have doubt immediately. Can anybody relate to that just a little bit? Before the task is given, this is our initial introduction into this scene. Let's see what Gabriel says starting in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Gets, gets right to the heart to it. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
restating what he originally introduced himself as. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his, king, and his kingdom there will be no end. So what is Gabriel doing here? He's addressing directly her fear, and he restates why he's there. That's how he introduces his greeting, because she has found favor and God is with her. He then points her emotions and thoughts to the cure of all fear, which is the exaltation of who Yahweh God is and the very words that Yahweh God has said and what he will do. Look, this is the moment that the word of God is becoming living and active inside of her heart. The word of God will be made manifest, becoming flesh, as he is born to a virgin, as her son, and with the full revelation of Jesus reigning as the eternal and supreme Davidic king. That was the immediacy of content that he shared with her. Well, God's word always declares who he is. So in this case, he is the Lord who will carry out the function of his son's name, Yeshua, God of salvation. He is the Lord Almighty who will cause his one and only son to be called Son of the Most High. The very one seated on David's throne and he will reign forever and ever. His kingdom will have no end. So the immediate focus of God's promise is who the full-grown son of God will be and what he will yet go on to eternally accomplish. Isn't it great to see that the solution to fear of all kinds has never changed. The solution to fear is that we exalt the character of God and his word that inclines our hearts, warns our souls, and directs our strength. To exalt the word of God as supreme is to exalt the character of God as supreme. And this is exactly what Mary does. Look at her response to this plan of God for her life. Look at her response as she is witnessing his supremacy, and it's seen in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The statement of I am the servant of the Lord is a statement of full submission of the soul to who he is. This must be our response as well. So that those visceral reactions of emotion, those logical assessments of his lordship are now reined in under the rulership of God and his mighty character. See, next you see in this the full trust that God's word will never fail and will be fulfilled in our lives. No word from the Lord has ever failed. Come on. Yeah. Not ever. Not in your life. Not in anyone's life. No word from the Lord has ever failed. Nothing that he said is actually impossible because he said it. Here, Mary is celebrating the supremacy of God's word, thereby exalting the character of who he is. See, if we read further in the passage, you see that Mary's testimony even caused Elizabeth to rejoice and exalt God's word as well. Elizabeth looks at her and begins to prophesy, saying that blessed is she who believed. What Elizabeth saw in Mary as she entered in, not only did the baby leap within her womb, but the Spirit of God called prophecy, and she could see the faith that was resting upon Mary. 
See, celebrating the supremacy of the word is everything. Somebody say, it's everything. It's everything, it's everything that we need for life and godliness. This is not only true of Mary's encounter with God's word, but more evident than all in who Jesus is in our encounter with him. So like Pastor said, exalting the word is everything. It, I mean, did you, did you notice how much, number one, you can relate to that fear and doubt that exists when we encounter God's presence, when he reveals his, his will to us, and how simple the solution really is? That we look at his character above all other things, and immediately those two items begin to be put in check. That all you got to do is lift up his word, exalt his word, and you begin to see how far it reigns over our own emotions. So let's all turn to Colossians chapter 1 to see how Paul exalted the word made manifest. We're going to pick up in verse 15. Shout out there whenever you're there, saints. You're getting close. <laughs> Amen. Statement of faith. Honest response. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Do you see the centrality of our Messianic and Davidic king? He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What is out there that fear and doubt can remove from the reign and lordship of our king? None. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything. Everybody say everything. Everything. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. So that in everything, in all things, at all times, inside of each one of us, in all creation, he may have the supremacy. Church, does he reign supreme? Yes. Is he still seated upon his throne? Yes. Let's continue in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So I'll ask you again, and I want you to shout out loud, is he supreme? Say it with me, church. He reigns supreme. He reigns supreme. That means that he reigns supreme over my circumstance. He reigns supreme over my trials. He reigns supreme even over death itself. It cannot hold him and it cannot stop him. So what else is there that can hold back the lordship and the authority of our God on earth? Nothing can. So who is going to join us in celebrating his supremacy this morning? Who's going to raise a shout of hallelujah to who he is? Hallelujah! That simple solution that Gabriel gave to Mary is the same that we have for us. No matter what ways our hearts or causes our emotions to become agitated and stirred. All we have to do is lift up our eyes and grasp the reality of his throne and his lordship. Come on, that leads us to the title of today's message. He reigns supreme. Say it with me. 
He reigns supreme. See, when you read a passage like Colossians 3 and verse 11, and you see that Christ is all and is in all, you can know for a fact that he reigns supreme. And you can know for certain that this fact didn't start in Colossians 3. It didn't even begin in Luke 1, but has been the undeniable, overwhelming testimony of all Scripture for all ages and generations. Of course it begins in Genesis. Let's start at the correct end of the book. Turn with us to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 15. Say, he reigns supreme as you're turning. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now you know that this crusher of the serpent's head is the same Jesus whom Gabriel spoke to Mary about. It's the same Jesus that Colossians declares as all and in all. Not only is Jesus evident in the first book of the Torah, but he is clearly seen throughout the entire Tanakh. So you just heard Pastor declare from Genesis 3.15 that he is the crusher of the serpent's head. Well, let's go through the Tanakh. He is the conqueror of the gods of Egypt in Exodus 12.12. He is the culmination of atonement and expiation of sin in Leviticus 17.11. He is the recompense to Korah's rebellion in Numbers 16. He's the revealed prophet Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18. He is the ruler and the captain of the Lord's army seen in Joshua 5. He is Barak's war cry in Judges 4. He is Boaz's boldness in Ruth 4. He is the bravery that bested giants with boys in 1 Samuel 17. He is the deity behind David's defeat of Dagon's puppets in 2 Samuel 8. He is the devastation that befell Jezebel's prophets in 1 Kings 3. He's the demolisher of the original deplorables in Elijah's fire in 2 Kings 2. He is the ark that can't fit in a tent in 1 Chronicles 13. He's the glory that can fill the temple of God in 2 Chronicles 7. He's the God who can resurrect it all again in Ezra chapter 6. Church, he is the restoration of the nation seen in Nehemiah 6. He's the preservation of the people in Esther 4. He is the arbitration of the Almighty in Job 9. He is the arm that can bend bows of bronze in Psalms 18. He's the advisor that teaches us victory in Proverbs 24. He's the administrator of man's earthly duty in a heavenly war in Ecclesiastes 12. He is the one whose love is stronger than the grave in Song of Solomon 8. His wrath cannot be stopped, seen in Isaiah 59. And he is the one who shatters nations in Jeremiah 51. Oh, come on, saints. He's the renewal of hope in Lamentations 3. He's the revival of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. He's the rock that envelops the earth in Daniel chapter 2. He is the passion of the jealous husband in Hosea 2. He is the power of the Holy Spirit in Joel 2. He's the possessor of David's tents in Amos 9. Oh, he is the rewarder of deeds, whether good or bad, in Obadiah 15. He is the resurrected one in Jonah chapter 2. He is the reigning king in Israel in Micah chapter 5. He is the avenger in Nehemiah 1. He is the apex warrior in Habakkuk 3. He is the all-consuming anger against ancient enemies in Zephaniah 2 and 3. 
He is the shaker of the nations in Haggai 2. He's the slayer of the wicked in Zechariah 14. And to finish off the Tanakh, he is the son of righteousness in Malachi chapter 4. Can somebody say that he reigns supreme? See, the Tanakh puts on full display the entirety of the nature, the character, and the awesome deeds that are wrought from the supremacy of Christ. It's no wonder that the Apostle John begins his uh, gospel by expressing what he does in John 1. Turn with us there, John 1, and we're going to look at verse 14 together. Come on, say it out. He reigns supreme. John 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. The word. You know, he who was with God and was God from the beginning. The word who made all things and in whom dwells life. Somebody say life. You know that life that can even overcome the grave. And light. Somebody say light. The light couldn't comprehend it, couldn't grasp it, and definitely can't overcome it. The Word, the Tanakh, became flesh and dwelt among us. You're very familiar with the word dwell in this passage and its meaning of to be tabernacled, that he tabernacled among us. This specific word should bring to mind the way that Israel journeyed through the desert, being covered by the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And the glory that came to rest on the mobile tabernacle and, of course, on the permanent temple. This was to show his people his supremacy over all other gods and acted as a visible sign to all nations that he reigned supreme. I mean, just refresh your mind with Rahab's account in Joshua of God's mighty acts of judgment and the presence that dwelt among Israel 40 years prior. And it's clear that his canopy over them was a tangible sign of his character and his word. Church, you know it, and we're celebrating it today. Jesus is the embodiment of God's tabernacle, uh, the embodiment of the Tanakh, of the word on earth. And in him, we join the provisions of his people Israel, and therefore we dwell under the canopy of his character, the covering of a king who will always reign supreme. Did you hear that phrase that Pastor just said? We dwell under the canopy of his character. So that it is a, a constant visible sign of what he has said, who he is, and therefore what he will do. So with that in mind, let's take a few other quick examples of the supreme king who tabernacles with his people. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 4 and say he reigns supreme as you turn. He reigns supreme. We're going to pick up in verse 5. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. The prophetic description of Isaiah here is speaking of a time yet to be fulfilled known as that day, in which the supreme king will gloriously establish over all of Mount Zion and over all those who assemble there the very same canopy that his people experienced in the original exodus from Egypt. His presence 
will once again cover his people with a cloud by day and a fire by night. So what we understand is that God has tabernacled with his people. God is tabernacling with his people, as the apostle John described. And here Isaiah makes sure that you know God's unchanging character and the fact that he will tabernacle with his people forever. So did you catch it? The phrase, over all the glory there will be a canopy. So therefore Christ who is all in all has an unchanging character that is consistent to manifest in the flesh and dwell, tabernacle, and cover with a canopy those who belong to him. So what does that mean for us right here and right now? We're able to be confident because we dwell under the same canopy of his character. We're able to be confident because the covering of a king who will always reign supreme is the covering that we get to dwell underneath. Church, in the writings, the canopy of his supreme character is described in vivid detail. Turn with us to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Come on, you can say, he reigns supreme. Psalm 19 in verse 1. It says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Man. See, the heavens themselves act as a canopy that God has stretched out for all of creation to dwell under. The consistent theme of these passages is that each are showing the synonymous nature of his creation and his word. His creation is testifying and declaring even without speech, that his character is supreme, and therefore his word is supreme. Psalm 19 goes on to focus exclusively on what the word is and what it does. It focuses on the very supremacy of the word itself, that the word of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. You can start seeing that the word is trustworthy, making wise the simple. Can somebody say amen to that one? That the word is right. It gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes. It's pure. It's enduring. On and on it goes, elevating the word itself and saying the supremacy of the word is everything. See, this is the very effect of dwelling under the canopy of the supremacy of the word that has been made manifest. Remember, we as his creation are to dwell under the canopy of his character. The glorious covering of a king who will always reign supreme. Now, we've previously shared with you who Jesus is from each of the 39 books of the Tanakh. Now, we want to continue to celebrate his supremacy as seen in the Brit Hadashah, the Newer Testament. See, in the Newer Testament, you see that he is the victorious king of the Jews as seen in Matthew. He is the successful servant of the Lord in Mark chapter 10. He's the son of man in Luke 19. He's the son of God in John 1. He is the ascended Lord in Acts 1. He's the believer's right standing in Romans 1. He is their sanctification in 1 Corinthians 1. He's their sufficiency in 2 Corinthians 12. He is their freedom in Galatians 2. 
He's the exalted head of the church in Ephesians chapter 1. He is the Christian strength in Philippians 1. He's the fullness of deity in Colossians 2. He is the believer's comfort in 1 Thessalonians 4. He is their glory in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He is the Christian's preservation in 1 Timothy 4. He's their rewarder in 2 Timothy 4. He is the blessed hope in Titus 2. He is the substitute in Philemon 17. He is our high priest in Hebrews 4. Oh, come on, saints. He's the giver of wisdom in James 1.5. He is the rock in 1 Peter 2. He is our precious promise in 2 Peter 1.4. He is the life in 1 John. He is the truth in 2 John. He is the way in 3 John. Jude portrays Christ as the advocate. And Revelation shows him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Somebody say that he reigns supreme. Oh, come on, make the roof come off. Is he the King of kings and the Lords of lords? So what we can see is that throughout the Tanakh and throughout the Newer Testament, the character of God fully manifests in his Son is given as the source from which we all have hope and the ability to rejoice in any circumstance. So if his character has been unchanging from the beginning and will remain true for an eternity, then what day is too dark that his light cannot shine through? What plan is so impossible that our hearts and minds can't find firm ground to stand on? Today is the day to look up at the canopy of his character and the day to rejoice that his word has become living and active inside of us. Like 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9 says, though you have not seen him, and even though you do not see him now, you trust in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You are filled with the ability to rejoice because you know him. I'm asking, church, do you know him? Is he your king? Is he your master? Has he proven to you that he reigns supreme over all? Then from your very mouths, declare to the heavens right here and right now that he reigns supreme. He reigns supreme. Let today be a day that we confess with our deeds and our creed that he reigns supreme. Let our faces reflect the glory of our king and celebrate the gift of righteousness that he has given us. Just as Romans 5.17 says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So sin and death do not reign supreme. But the one man, God's word made manifest, living and in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He is the one who has given us an abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness that supremely reigns in life through him. Isn't your life an abundant display of his grace and his truth at work inside of you? Can we look up? to the face of our king and reflect his glory that is given to us and see it as a free gift that we get to stand right before our God. No more works of my own right arm to prove my own righteousness, 
but it's to stand in obedience to my king. And it is a gift of righteousness that now is at work in the members of my body. Come on now. See, today, church, is the day to know him and what he's made you for. To be reminded that you are under the canopy of he who reigns supreme. Now, as you think about it, in Revelation chapter 5, in verse 10, it states a beautiful, beautiful principle. And in the context, you're seeing that the 24 elders, the four living creatures, are declaring that he is supreme. This is the scene where John is there and he's looking to see who is worthy to open the scrolls. There is none found in heaven, on the earth, under the earth that are worthy to open the scrolls until the lion of the tribe of Judah arises. The one who was the lamb and sacrificed himself is now standing in the presence of God and is able to go there to the right hand of he who sits on the throne and grab the scroll and open the scroll. The declaration of the 24 elders of the four living creatures is that he has purchased men from every tribe and language because of his sacrifice. That he alone is worthy to open the scrolls. And that he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. That we might reign with him on the earth. So if he is reigning supreme and we are walking rightly under his canopy, then we are made to be a kingdom. We're made to be priests that get to reign with him on this earth. See, he is the Lord of all and in all that call upon his name. There is no other name by which man can be saved, and it is in his name, his character, his ability to reign supreme that you get to dwell forever. Come on now. Now, we've been working as a church to, to really get some things down in our soul. Sixteen sermons that have been working us over. You know what today is a good day to do? Celebrate who he is. It is a great day for us to go. Let us lift up our eyes and understand what kind of confidence, what kind of celebration that you can have because of who he is. My goodness. I wonder if you know him today. See, we're going to continue our climb to know him more. Have you exhausted everything that you already know about him yet? No. I mean, we're working on it, but we're not even close. We're not even remotely close with who he is and his great supremacy. But we're going to try. We're going to try. There's, there's been a, we're going to work through something together. It was inspired by a pastor who passed away about 25 years ago. You ready for his name? Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. Phenomenal man. This is not exactly his work. It's been inspired by our dearly departed brother here, and it's been modified by uh, some of the pastors here at LCM. Are y'all ready for this? We cannot exalt who he is enough. We cannot focus on his supremacy enough. Because I promise you that when you're walking rightly under his canopy, everything else falls to the side. Every worry, every doubt, every fear goes away, and you are standing realizing that you have an overcoming God, and he's filling you, leading you, and has his canopy over you. So before we read this, 
Who can raise a confident voice of amen that you've been purchased by this king? Who can raise a victorious shout with confidence that you are a kingdom and priest under his dwelling? Who can temporarily set your Bibles aside and stand to your feet and shout who he reigns? Come on, say it again. He reigns. Amen. Have a seat. Church, do you want to know him? Let me tell you who he is. He is the ethnic king of the Jews, the national king of Israel, the king of all men for all of the ages, the king of heaven, the king of glory, the king of other kings, and the Lord of other lords. He is a prophet before Moses. He is a priest after Melchizedek. He's a champion like Joshua. He is an offering in place of Isaac. He is a king from the line of David. He is a wise counselor above Solomon. He is a beloved, a rejected, and exalted son like Joseph. Oh, church, and yet he's far more. The heavens declare his glory, and the firmament shows his handiwork. He who is, who was, and who always will be, the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the Aleph and the Tav, the a and the Z. He is the first fruits of those that sleep. He is the yod Hey vav Hey. He is Adonai himself. He is the Logos to Theos. He is the I am that I am. He's the voice of the burning bush. He's the savior of Israel's salvation. He is the captain of the Lord's host. He is the conqueror of Jericho. Come on church, does he reign supreme? Do you know him? He is ever-present. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is our jealous God. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is our avenger of blood. He is our city of refuge. He is our performing high priest. He is our personal prophet. He is our reigning king. Somebody say, he reigns supreme. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the miracle of the ages, the superlative of everything good. And we are the beneficiaries of a love letter. It was written in blood on a wooden cross erected in Judea more than 2,000 years ago. He was crucified on a cross of wood, yet he made the hill on which it stood. By him were all things made that were made. Without him was anything made that was made. He was born of a woman. So that we could be born of God. He humbled himself. So that we could be lifted up. He became a servant. So that we could be made co-heirs. He suffered rejection. So that we could become his friends. He denied himself. So that we could freely receive all things. He gave himself. So that he could bless us in every way. 
Somebody say he reigns supreme. He reigns supreme. But that's not all. He's available to the tempted. He blesses the young. He cleanses the lepers. Defends the feeble. He delivers the captives. Discharges the debtors. He forgives the sinners. Franchises the meek. He guards the besieged. Heals the sick. He provides strength to the weak. Rewards the diligent. He serves the unfortunate. Sympathizes and he saves. His offices are manifold. His reign is righteous. His promises are sure. His goodness is limitless. His light is matchless. His grace is sufficient. His love never changes. His mercy is everlasting. Do you want to know some more about him? His word is enough. His word is enough. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's irresistible. And he's invincible. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Man cannot explain him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. And learned that they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault with him. The witnesses couldn't agree against him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. He has always been. And always will be. He had no predecessor. And will have no successor. Oh, get this. You can't impeach him. And he's not going to resign. Yeah. His name is above every name. That at the name of Yeshua, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the kingdom. He is the power. And he is the glory. Forever and ever. Amen. That is our supreme king. And there is none like him. Come on. Somebody shout it out. He reigns supreme. He reigns supreme. Our aim this entire morning is to make sure that all of us have that confidence to celebrate the supremacy of our Davidic king. You have heard how he is supreme throughout the Tanakh. You've heard how he is supreme in the Newer Testament. But I want you to look a little bit closer. Look at the lives in this room. Look at the evidence of how he reigns supreme over us. That we are constantly covered by the canopy of his character. And we get to participate with his people Israel in that canopy. Let's all turn to John chapter 1 and verse 14. We're going to read it again. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. Tangible, living, as the Son of God. And made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of 
the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Church, that fullness of grace and truth that came from our Supreme King is for you today just as it was for Mary. Right now is your opportunity to do something. And that is to subdue all visceral emotion and logical pursuit of who he is by rejoicing under the canopy of his character. We have the opportunity at all times, and what this morning is, is just a refresher, to look at his character that is unchanging, never fading, and it will never come to an end, and put to death all fear and doubt of who he is and what he will do. When we're saying he reigns supreme, because we have to lock our eyes in on him that is greater than anything else, particularly what goes on between our ears and in our hearts. The reality of his word is the very thing that we can look at as the covering of a king who always reigns supreme. When you're reading the Tanakh, when you're reading the New Testament, you are engaging the word of God and that relationship with him as your king grows ever stronger. Do you notice how many times that you have read just a singular verse and it's leapt off the page and put to death all fear and doubt and concern? So begin to stand to your feet as you stand in your confidence. See, you get to participate with us today as we celebrate confidently. When you have your eyes on the reigning and supreme king, you're not worried about anything else. You have no fear, not where you're gonna meet, not what your bank account looks like, not anything else. You're able to go, we are under the canopy of he who reigns supreme. The one, the word itself that became flesh and made its dwelling among us. So we're gonna worship. Yeah. We're gonna confidently celebrate his supremacy together. Yeah. Mighty God, we love you. We set our eyes upon your supremacy, upon your greatness, upon your preeminence. Lord, we love